uh, I, uh, I want to share with you uh, part two of the hanker. <laughs> we talked about the first part last week, and um, some of you will remember that uh, a couple weeks ago, um, the Lord woke me up about 3 a.m. in the morning and uh, started talking to me. And so I have learned from experience that if God's speaking, you better write it down because you'll forget it by, by 6 a.m. So it doesn't take long, does it? And uh, so I started writing as fast as I could and, um, and didn't even know what I was writing down. Really. I just, just what I was picking up in the spirit, it was kind of flowing out. And I just wrote, 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 wrote. And then I went back to bed um, and uh, got up the next morning and then started studying. And then, of course, here we are today. So last week I brought you the first part of that. And, and basically what the Lord said to me and uh, to my challenge to you is, what are you anchored to? What are you anchored to? If you look at verse 18, it says that by two immutable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. And so here's where this hope is. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become the high priest forever, according to the, or, to the order of Melchizedek. You know, anchors secure us through the ups and downs of life. If you, I, I was sharing with you last week, I don't do a lot of fishing, but you know, I do know that in a boat, if you don't want the boat to drift, even if it's no wind and there's no waves, if you don't want the boat to drift, you have to anchor it down. Uh, anchors keep things stable. Um, and uh, they keep things where they're supposed to be. And, of course, this is telling us that we have hope as an anchor for our soul, to keep our soul on track. I want you to remember something, and I'm not saying this to, be, to create fear, okay? I, I just want you to be aware of this. The Word of God, prophetically, tells us that in the last days there will be people depart from the faith. Okay? There will be people depart from the faith. Now, I'm going to say some things. This might sound a little offensive to you, but I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just trying to be a good pastor. The first step for people departing from the faith is to depart from the church. That's the first place. Because when you get out of fellowship, and I'm not talking about with God, because you can believe in God whether you go to church or not. You can be a Christian whether you go to church or not. But here's the thing. The church is God's vehicle that he uses in the earth to establish his will. Amen. I'm finding people, I was telling Sharon the other day, I'm finding people, you know, that they're, I mean, even at Amazing Grace, as great a church as this is, but you hear this universally, that, well, we're just not going to church right now, or, well, we're going to start looking for another church, or we're, okay, I'm cool with that. Look, I'm fine. You want to look for another church? But did God tell you to do that, or did you come up with that on your own? I've had people, listen, I, I, I'm just being honest with you. I've had people that have come to me and said, we're going to start going to this other church because one of our family members said they go to that church if we go to that church, but they won't go to this church. Okay? They just are uncomfortable here. So I think you should be in a church you're uncomfortable in. I don't think God called the church to Come make on. you comfortable. Amen. Come on. Yeah. 
You know, if you want to get strong, you don't go to a gym you're comfortable in. Right? I mean, you go to, right? I mean, you go to one that's like, oh my gosh, this is aggravating. So, now look. So I had this, this one family, went to Amazing Grace here, said, you know, we just feel like if we go, we'll go to church with this person, you know, this family member. Now they're not in church at all. Because, look, if that family member wasn't going to church before, they're not going to go to church consistently in the future. But that's just one story. Well, we're going to find something a little closer. Well, we're going to find something with shorter services. Well, we're going to find something the music's not so loud. We're going to find something with a more handsome preacher. We're going to find something that has a... You have a hard time finding that one. No, I'm just kidding. You know, we're, but, we're, but, but you see all those things. And look, all of that is nonsense because here's the thing. You go where God has put you, whether you like it or not. I can't always say that I have liked being married to Sharon. I can't say that. But I can tell you this, that's where God put me. That's where God put her. So we work it out. You know, if you have problems with the church, you go find you another, you go find you some help to deal with your problem. You talk to the people you have issues with. Look, there's lots of, there's lots of mean people in this church. Oh, no, they are. They're here. I didn't say Sharon's name. I'm just saying there's, no, there's some tough people here. There's tough people in every church. But my point with this is, is that, look, this last days, it's called the apostasy. And we're starting to see it happen. You know, you're seeing, I don't know how many of you saw the article that came out this last week, that Iran has the fastest growing church in the world right now, in Iran. In Iran. But what's happening in the U.S. church is, is that we're starting to see the faith of people waning. It's kind of like, it kind of works like this. You get saved, you get in church, you get involved in church, you get involved with people, okay? You get aggravated, you get bored, you get uninvolved with people, you get out of serving in church, you get out of church, and you're just one step away that's good preaching, Pastor. Listen, if you're in this church, you ought to be serving with all your heart. You ought to find something to do. Well, I don't know. You know my time and blah. Look, if you're here today, you could be serving. Find something to do. Become an usher. Get in children's ministry. Find something to do. Because the church, as Dave Williams said a couple weeks ago, church isn't just about you getting something. It's about you giving what you've got in your life to other people. That's fellowship. Amen. I am greatly, greatly concerned as a pastor of what I see happening in the, in the United States church right now with, the, with this falling away from church. People just saying, well, you know, we just, right now we're busy and we got stuff going on. Hey, I get it. I, I, I got stuff going on. I have stuff I have to do. And I'm the pastor and I need to be, I absolutely need to be here. But the thing is, I got stuff I could do too. And so do you. I get it. But what we do is we choose, we choose what the Lord says over what we want. So if you're thinking about leaving here, look, if God's telling you to do it, and you know that. I mean, now, I'm not just saying that like, well, I just kind of feel I'm being led, baloney. God gave you a word to go. That, I mean, he told you, I want you to go to this other place. Because see, God isn't going to lead you out without telling you where he's going to send you. 
Say, Pastor, are people leaving Amazing Grace? I don't know. I hear stuff once in a while. Hey, look, you know, the church sometimes is like a bus. People getting on, people getting off. Sometimes you, you just pray that you keep more on the bus than are getting off the bus, right? I mean, I think about when I started pastoring here 26 years ago, the people that were here in the church then. Now some are in heaven. Some are backslidden. They've totally backslidden in their spiritual life. And some are still here today. And some are in other churches, which, look, we got a lot of ministries that we've helped send out, pastors and children's pastors and youth pastors and all that. But see, I think that what we have to get focused back into is, is that Jesus is Lord, Amen. that he is the head of the church. And so whatever he says, so you don't like me, come see me. You don't like something I said, ask me about it. I don't get offended. I won't hurt it. I've never beat anybody up in church. Outside the church, I can't say. In the parking lot, I can't tell you that's. <laughs> but this is, a, this is what's happening. So the more we talk about Jesus returning, because he is coming back. Well, the more we talk about his return, the more we have to realize there will also be a falling away that will happen. Now, you're going to have to decide which part of that you're going to be. You're going to have to decide that for yourself. But as for me and my house. See, my Christian faith, my Christian faith is not just that I was saved. See, I was saved, I am saved, and I am being saved. And you know, if you would admit that, you'd know that's true too. Hey, look, you received what Christ did for you. That might have been 10 years ago, could have been 20 years ago, could have been 30 years ago, 40 years ago. I don't know how long ago it was. But look, when you received Christ that day, you became a Christian. You were saved, saved. But I also today am saved. I was saved. I am saved. And I am being saved. See, because here I am today, I'm in a growing, dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ. I've been doing this, Dara, a long time as a Christian. Over 40 years. You too. I know. Look, almost 70 years. But look. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. There's things that I pick up. I love what Carrie said today. That was awesome. I mean, I'm not like making my, I'm not having to hype myself up to get excited about the word. I'm already excited about the word. Amen. I'm already excited about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Hallelujah. So when we talk about our Christian faith, we're not just talking about a relationship with Christ that happened 30 years ago or 70 years ago or whatever, and that I received Christ. And now, you know, since then, I haven't had a relationship really with Jesus. My, my relationship with Christ is that I was saved, I am saved, but here's the really cool part about it. I am being saved. And here's what I believe. I hope you get this. The best is yet to come. <laughs> the best is yet to come, man. Hallelujah. You know, the best years of my marriage are right now. I got her just the way I want her. She's, and she would tell you, she's got me just the way she wants me. And if I veer from that a little bit, she knows how to get me back on track. But, but you see what I'm... So look, we've worked through all of the immaturity in our marriage relationship. 
Do you all remember the immaturity of marriage? That's when you fuss over which way the toilet paper rolls. Right? Immaturity. Where you're fighting over money all the time, that's immaturity in your marriage. So now we're through all that. We don't fight over money. We don't fight over sex. We don't fight over kids because they're all out of the house anyway. So we don't fight over that. Hallelujah. We don't fight over in-laws because all, almost all of ours are in heaven. Hers aren't, but mine are. Her, my, well, her in-laws are all in heaven. We don't fight over that. Not much left to fight about. Right? So the best years of our lives are ahead of us. Glory to God. And I'm having a blast living it. The best years of my Christian life are ahead of me. Hallelujah. You know, I'm going to have to get up every day wondering whether I'm going to fall off the wagon and get drunk again. I don't get up having to be concerned about whether my relationship with Christ, that I'm going to get all messed up and that I'm going to get back on drugs or I'm going to have to have, you know, I'm going to have to have oils and, and weed to be able to function normally in life. Amen. I'm not picking at what anybody does. I'm just saying I don't have, I'm talking about me right now. Talk about my life. Hallelujah. See, you know, I, I do know this about me. You know, it's just like everybody's making a big deal about these oils. You know, if you put oil on, you'll feel better and you'll, you'll feel more peaceful. I know me. I won't, I'll, I won't put a little oil on my wrist. I will get in a bathtub of oil. Are you all here? I know me. I I want, look, if, if a little bit on the wrist makes me feel good, come on, bring on the bathtub full of oil. I'm, I'm going down deep. That's my Christian faith. That's me. That's how I am. I didn't know how to, I mean, I never knew how to be a social drinker. I knew how to be a drunk. That's all I knew how to be. I didn't know how to just do one drug and be happy with it. All I knew how to do was do anything that was made available. Man, preacher, that's good. I want you to go. I'm not going to preach out. I'm going to move over to a different passage. Um, I want you to go to um, Philippians with me. I want you to go with, to Philippians with me, if you would. And uh, I want you to go to chapter 3. And uh, amen. Thank you. You know, Paul, when he was writing to the Philippian church, he was writing from prison. And he's talking to these guys. I mean, all of the things that are being written, either he's writing them or he's telling them to Luke. And Luke is writing them down. But, I mean, he's in jail. So, I mean, it's not, you know, it's not like we think about our prison system, the jails that we have today. I mean, we're talking dirty, filthy, messy environments that he was in. So in Ephesians 3, Paul begins to talk about a little bit of his credentials. He talks about, you know, Philippians 3, excuse me. And uh, he begins to talk about his credentials, and he talks about, you know, all of the, the different things that he had going in his life and, and how awesome it was and, you know, that he was the Pharisee of Pharisees and everybody knew who he was and that he was up and coming. And then he says in verse 7, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now stop right there if you would. Listen, Paul lived his life seeking the knowledge of God. That's how he lived his life. All right? Seeking, he tells you right here, 
Everything I have is, is lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. He said, I have suffered the loss of all things, and they are all rubbish to me, that I may gain Christ. His relationship with Christ was what guided, led, and was the main emphasis of his life in all things. And he says, look, I don't want to be found as having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And then he goes on in verse 10 and says this, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. If, and he didn't say that I had to die. He said being conformed to his death Meaning for us, what that means is yielding ourselves, our own will to the complete will of God. Complete obedience. Thank you. He said, listen, the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. He goes on and he says, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on. Everybody say press on. He said, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also lay hold of me. This is one thing I think all of us have, uh, have to admit if we want to really understand our Christian faith. We didn't find, look, we didn't find God without him wanting us to find him. You know, Chuck was talking about that earlier in the service. God pursued us before we pursued him. Amen. No one can come call upon the name of the Lord without the Spirit drawing them. Nobody. You were drawn by the Spirit. Now, I'm not saying the Spirit isn't drawing everybody, but I want you to remember here that He laid hold of you before you laid hold of Him. To me, I don't get that. That's one of the hardest things in my Christian faith for me to understand. Because why in the world would God want me? A screwed up, inebriated, addicted, insecure, self-willed, arrogant, goofball that I was. I gave my heart to Christ when I was about, I'll say for real, at 18. 17, 18 years old. Why? When I think about myself, Joe, driving down the road, drunk out of my mind, telling God I don't care whether I live or I die, looking at those pylons coming down off that bridge, thinking I don't care if I run into those. If I pass out behind the wheel and I'm dead, then I'm dead. I don't even care anymore. And yet God, who is rich in mercy and grace towards us, that while we were yet sinners, he gave his life for that knucklehead right there. He gave his, his life. Now, look, I don't know your story. Some of you, I know some of your stories. But I want you to think about the you that came to Christ. What was it God saw? Well, he saw you could be a preacher. Well, maybe he did see that, but there was a lot of work to do before that was ever going to happen. Well, maybe he saw that you'd just be a really good giver. Well, there was a lot of work that needed to happen before that happened. I don't know what he saw that he loved. But see, that's the incredible thing about God's love. You can't figure it out. In fact, the Bible tells you in Ephesians that it's beyond your understanding, God's love for you. 
He says, Paul says, look, guys, I press on that I could lay hold for that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. I don't count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, and I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So I'm going to ask you a question this morning. This ties right into this anchor. What are you pressing into right now in your life? What are you pressing into right now? In one year, where will your life be? What will your life be like? In one year, I'm just, I, let's not talk 10 years, let's just talk right now, next year. We're gonna stand together here in, the, in our church service on a Sunday morning in the month of September. It'll be the end of September, heading into October, and all the, you know, all the wonderful harvest stuff that's going on. We had a great harvest party last weekend. So with all of that being said, in one year, where will your spiritual life be? In one year, where will your health? In one year, what will you have learned that you did not all that you don't know right now? You say, well, I don't know. It's hard to say. It's hard for me to. Well, look, your education, your education is not God's responsibility. Your education on your part is your responsibility. God is the teacher, but your education is your responsibility. The only way you're going to get educated is show up for class. Amen. And I'm not talking just about church. I'm just saying you got to show up. If you were reading with me through the Bible, you would have read in Isaiah chapter 55. And he says there, look, ho, everyone who's thirsty, come and drink. Ho, everybody that's hungry, come and eat. Come and eat and drink till you're full. Come and have as much as you want. He says, but listen to me. See, what's the key to you and I getting to full of God's drink and full of God's food. We got to listen. We got to pay attention. Amen. We got to be intentional. Everybody say intentional. intentional. Paul was intentional about his spiritual growth. He was anchored into something. See, when we talk about what are we anchored to? You know, I talked about last week how that, you know, are we anchored to, to a disappointment? Okay, that's in your past. Are we anchored to a betrayal? That's in your past. Are we anchored to a, to a hurt in our lives? That Look, that's all in your past. Look, if you're anchored to it, you'll never get past it. Ever. You'll never get past it. It'll always pull you back. It'll just keep pulling and pulling and pulling. Thanks, Ken. Because the only way for you to get where you need to go is to anchor yourself something that's ahead of you instead of anchoring yourself to something that's behind you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You've been through a divorce, stop being anchored to that divorce. Had a bad breakup, stop being anchored to that. Because as long as you're anchored to it, it doesn't, look, if you went through a bad breakup, here's what will happen. You're anchored to that breakup, so you'll have a level of trust problem when you go into the next relationship. Well, I'm just waiting. I hope it doesn't end up like the other one. A divorce can be the same thing. And if we don't learn from our past, we're destined to repeat it. Hallelujah. Paul said, I press. I'm pressing. Pressing's hard. You know, we sang this morning about God pressing us. But what are you pressing into? See, that's the great reciprocity of God. 
that as you press in, the stuff that needs to get pressed out of you gets pressed out of you, and then the good stuff starts flowing. But you got to press in. Hallelujah. Are you getting anything out of this? you got to be the one that presses through. You have to push. You have to push in. You have to push into the things of God. And, uh, you know, when you're really discouraged, that's when you even got to push harder. You know, in the Old Testament, we would have read this a couple weeks ago in our reading, but when the Reb Shaka came from Sennacherib and he said, isn't that great I can say those two words? <laughs> Education paying off, Joe. When, when, the, when the Reb Shaka came and said to the Israelites, you're never going to make it. You're never going to get through this. You're never going to get out of this. You're going to fail. You guys are going down. And, and it says in the, in the text, in the, in the book of Isaiah, that they, they came back and said, stop talking to us in the Hebrew language. We know your language. Talk to us in that language. And the reason they said it is because it was scaring all the people that only knew Hebrew. And he said, talk to us in the, your language. And the guy said, no, I'm going to talk in Hebrew. So I'm going to talk in a language that's familiar to all of you. And so he talked to this language and he said, remember, all, see, don't let Hezekiah, the king, tell you that you'll get out of this because look at all the other kings that told their people they'd get out of this. They never got out of it, right? They never broke through it. That's just like people telling you that when you're believing God for a healing that, well, I know someone who was praying to get over that and died. Well, thanks for your encouragement. It doesn't matter. Look, it's, we miss them, but hey, that's not you. I said, that's not you. So here's the thing. This guy keeps this Reb Shaka, who's basically the mouthpiece for the king. He just says, you guys are going down. We're coming. We're going to destroy. You're going to all be decimated. Everything's going to go in the tubes. And the Bible says that Hezekiah, when he went to his leaders, he said, look, the people have come to a place of birth. Some of you are in that place of birth right now. See, in that place of birth, I've never had a baby, but I have lived with a woman that has. The last stages of the birthing are the most uncomfortable before the baby comes. I think God designed it that way because all you're thinking about is guess thing out of me. Right? You're, you're in a, you're, you, you start going through those pains. I mean, you know, when I was... With Sharon, when I was with Sharon, you know, she would, she would all of a sudden clench up and go, oh, oh, oh. I go, are you okay? <laughs> I don't know what to say. Are you, everything all right? Is it gas? What is it? Are you okay? I mean, she's, no, I'm in labor. I'm labor. And when she got to that point, it increased, right? And it becomes shorter. Now, I want you to apply this into your spiritual life right now. So the pain of what you're going through at that point is now becoming, is, is now great. It becomes greater. You women understand this. You're, you're, it, and it becomes more faster. Some of you are experiencing this spiritually. Things are coming at you quicker and you're, you're having to fight through stuff. And it's like, what in the world? Sometimes you're maybe even ask yourself, what in the world is going on right now? What's going on? Why am I under such spiritual attack right now? What is happening here? Because here's what's happening. You're about to give birth to something new. You're about to bring forth a new life. For you, in your life, you're about to bring something new forth. The only pathway to get from the pain that you're in to the newness of what you want to get into is you have to, you have to push. Yeah. 
you have to push. There, there, you know, unless you have a C-section, you're going to have to, you're going to have to push your way through this. Right. You know, in, in psychology, they teach what's, and I've preached about this before, but they talk about what's called liminal space. Liminal space is when you're in an environment in your life where the pain of where you are seems greater than it seems greater than to where you want to get to. Which means that look, I'm in I'm in a place right now. I'm fearful, I'm in pain, I'm struggling, I'm hurting, I'm disappointed, and I don't want to go forward, but something is out there that I know that's available to me. Every Christian in their life, you face this in your home, in your spiritual life, in your finances, and everything that you have to do with, faces a liminal space. In, in, in psychology, they also call it the terror barrier. And in the terror barrier, what you're dealing with is you're so afraid of moving forward you're so afraid of moving forward because the pain of what you're going through is greater than where you want to get to. But here's the thing. You want to get to somewhere. You want to get past your past. You want to get past the pain. You want to get... Right? Is everybody with me? You want to get past, you want to get past all this. Now, here's the really cool thing. When you're going through the pain, the Holy Ghost is the great epidural of God. Yeah. Well, there have been some guys had epidurals, haven't they? No, the Holy Ghost is the great epidural of God. Hey, that's a quotable quote, folks. It's the epidural, because what does it do? It numbs you or takes the edge off what you're going through. Okay? So, you know, I remember Sharon, man, she's, you know, she's in agony. She's on the, you know, on the table. Back then, we paid 300 bucks. 300, was it? 300 bucks to have our kids, 500, excuse me. That was all the medical service, and that we had the baby in the back room. We had to bring our own newspapers for the baby to be born on, okay? So we're in the doctor's back room with all his nurses, and Sharon's on the table, and we got our newspapers all laid out there on the table that we saved up, and we're ready for this thing to happen, and Sharon is like, this is what she said, give me something, Any of you women say that? Can you give me something to deal with this pain? And so they give her a shot, and it's supposed to the edge off the one time. I forget who it was. Maybe it was Angelie, but the doctor said, there's not enough time. She's like, oh, great. So that was it. We're, it's too long, and we're going through. You're, you're in, so it's done. Now, the Holy Spirit is the great epidural of God. You say, where is that located in the scripture? Well, it doesn't say exactly that. <laughs> right? But in Ephesians, it tells you this. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, singing and making song, songs and melodies in your heart to the Lord. So you and I, the great, you know, I mean, God is equating the Spirit to wine. The ability of wine to bring comfort, the ability of wine to relax you, the ability of wine to, you know, to, to bring 
to bring the, 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 to bring the, take the edge off of what's happening. Amen. You know, you've seen people before that have been in real stressful things and they come out of it and they go, man, I need a drink. Right? I need a drink. Well, hey, there's nothing wrong with saying that. I need a drink too. It's just I choose to drink from a different well. The well of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Where there is no hangover. Thank you, Jesus. Where you get filled up. And listen, when you're filled up, you can still stand up. Amen. When you get filled up, you don't bow before a porcelain toilet all night long. The Holy Spirit takes the edge off things for you and I because you have the Spirit in you. Amen. He brings peace. It's going to be okay. You're going to get through this. The word of the Lord comes. So Sennacherib's telling through Rabshakeh is saying, look, you'll never get out of this. Nothing's going to happen. And these words that have been spoken, Hezekiah recognizes and says to all the people, he says, look, this thing has scared the people so bad now that they're at the point of bringing forth something to bring birth, and they cannot do it because of the fear that they're dealing with. So the only avenue through you and I bringing to pass what it is that God wants to do is we have to push or we have to press through that. We have to press through what's going on. We have to press through it. You say, well, I just feel out of sorts spiritually right now. I just doesn't feel, my spiritual life doesn't feel the same. Press through it. Press through it. Well, I don't feel close to God right now. Press through that. Don't stop there. Hey, that may be where you are at. Well, I'm depressed. Press it. Press through that. Whatever it is that's going on, you got to press through it. You say, well, how do I press through it? Paul's told us right here. He said, listen, my desire is, is that I would know him. I would have a deep, intimate relationship with him, that I would know him. I would know the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, that I would have this deep, relationship with him. In fact, the amplified version says of this particular verse is, is that I might know him more deeply and intimately, that I might know Jesus more deeply and more intimately. How are you going to press through? You got to be anchored with the Lord. That passage, I just find this so powerful. See, I'm anchored in heaven right now beyond the veil. I know there's all kinds of people talking about, well, let's get to the, let's get beyond the veil. I'm already beyond the veil because, because here's who he's, because my, because the forerunner went ahead. That word forerunner in Hebrews six, that's the only place it's used in the whole Bible. Only place. It's only used one time that Jesus is the forerunner who went before us because you know why? Because Jesus is the anchor in that holy of holies. And he sat down at the right hand of God the Father when he pressed into that place. He made the blood sacrifice. 
Boy, if you get this in your spirit today, when Jesus went into heaven, he took the blood, his own very blood with him, and he took it over to the altar of the mighty father that sat upon the throne, and he took his own hands and his own blood, and he put it on the altar and said, there, father, all has paid for, all is taken care of. I, with my own blood, have secured for all who will believe on me. Anyone who calls on my name and believes on me, I have now put my blood on this altar forever to tell you and to tell every angel and to tell the devil and to tell every judgment that would be against them that they are forgiven, that they have new life, that they have a place in heaven. That blood is still there. When you and I get to heaven... I want you to know that the blood of Jesus Christ is still on that altar in heaven, that it's still there at the mercy seat of Almighty God. The blood of Jesus Christ that is now on that altar. And Jesus then said, now I'll sit down here at your right hand and so that I can continue to stand for my people who call on my name. That the blood is paid the price. And now I am the testator. I am now standing as a testimony in the heavenly place saying that it is all paid for. They are all redeemed from the curse of the law. They have new life in me. They have freedom from their past. The judgments that were against them are now gone and eradicated because I bore what they could not bear themselves. And he forever, the Bible says, he forever makes intercession for the saints. Let Ken God, Father, let Ken live for what I paid for for Ken to live like. Let Joe live like what I paid for Joe to live like. Let let Christine live like what I paid for her to live like, victorious over sin. Let her live a life free from demonic oppression. Let her live a life she's blessed beyond all blessing, that she's not living under any part of the curse in her life. And that blood that still sits there in heaven, when we get there, we'll see that bloody altar where Jesus put his blood for you and I, and we'll say, that's it right there. That's it. That's Listen, that's my was saved. That's my is saved. That is my being saved. That I might know that one that shed his blood for me. Hallelujah. I know some might think here today, why are you guys shouting? Because there's some Pentecostals in the house. Amen. We just can't. Keep our mouths shut when we hear about the goodness of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, stand up with me. I feel the anointing of God. I know we're not moved by our feelings, but you know when you start talking about the blood, you start talking about the power that's in that blood. Glory to God. You know, demons hate hearing about the blood. They hate it because they know, listen, that's the line that now is drawn over your life, that you are on a blood line. You crossed over when you received Christ. You're not on the other side with all the sinners. You're now over the line into the new life that Christ has for you. That's why heaven don't see you like you were. It says that we know no man as he was, but now we know all man after Christ, as it says, for any man who is in Christ, Adam, any man who's in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So whatever you were, you ain't no more. Whatever you lived like before, you don't got to live that way anymore because you're not that guy anymore. 
You might have been broken down, beat up, and depressed and discouraged, but you're not that guy anymore, Mike. You're not that guy anymore. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. The blood has made the declaration over your life. Hallelujah. And then Ephesians tells you that he sent the Holy Spirit as the just as a down payment. You know, we, we as Pentecostal charismatics, we say, oh, the Holy Spirit, man, that's, we got some. Look, that's just the, the down one. The Passion Translation says that's just the engagement ring. <laughs> it's not diminishing that the Holy Spirit's God, but he just wants you to know you got the Holy Spirit in your life. See, any man that calls upon the Lord, the Spirit of God will come and live on the inside of him. Now greater is he that's in you than he that's in the... Come on, can I get a good amen? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And so what's happened now is now the Spirit is inside of you. You're not having to call out to God a gazillion miles away trying to find him somewhere above the clouds. Now his Spirit's in you. Direct line. You got a direct connection. He's in you. Hallelujah. Amen. Come on, sister. So he's there inside of you, wherever you go, whatever you do. Glory. His presence. His presence. People say, well, we're trying to get the presence of God. Don't worry about it. I brought him with me. You brought him with you. You say, well I, well, I didn't know that. Well, that's your problem, right? You didn't know that. You go to work tomorrow, you're taking the presence of God with you. You go to your business, you're taking the presence of God with you. You put your hand to something, whatever you're doing, you're put, taking the presence of God wherever you are. Hallelujah. Well, you don't know where I work at. It's a wicked place. Well, it's not around you because you took the presence of God with you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, lift your hands to heaven. Father God, I thank you. Glory to your name, Jesus. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all sin. The Spirit of God is in you. God has put his Spirit in you at just the beginning that you could be filled with the Holy Spirit. Father, fill your people with your Spirit right now, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. What you have secured, Lord God, for us, Lord, let it be a reality here on earth. Thy kingdom come has come. Your will be done here in amazing grace, Lord God, as it's being done in heaven as already has been declared by you. Let it be done here today. Let it be done here today. Let it be done here today. Let it be done. Let it be done here today in the name of Jesus. Fill with your Holy Spirit. Filled. Be filled, Mike, with the Holy Spirit. Be filled till it overflows. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Till you want no more, my brother. Be filled. Be filled. Be filled, hallelujah. Be filled. Glory to your name, Jesus. Glory to your name, Jesus. Hallelujah. Be filled, my friend. Be filled. Hallelujah. Be filled. Be filled. Glory to God. Be filled, be filled, be filled. 